Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome to the Point Forward podcast with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinels J.R. Radcliffe and Jim Ozarski an over-caffeinated Milwaukee Bucks conversation. The Point Forward Podcast, Milwaukee Bucks chatter from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Well, this is a different feeling than it was a week ago. The Milwaukee Bucks are back in this series, tied 2-2. Two to two. They hold on for an 11-point win uh, in Game 4. I shouldn't say hold on. I mean, they played extremely well, especially in the second half, holding off the Brooklyn Nets, really the, the best-played game, maybe the playoffs so far, even counting the four wins against Miami. And now the series shifts back to Brooklyn with the two teams dead even. It is a best-of-three series starting on, uh, on Tuesday in Brooklyn. My name is J.R. Radcliffe, host of the Point Forward podcast and on the other line is Jim Ozarski. He was at Pfizer Forum taking in these two games. The Bucks win a rock fight in game three, come back in game four, put an impressive showing up to uh, to not this series at even. And Jim, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Despite what we talked about last week where I was offering my optimistic takes, there is no way on God's green earth that I thought this series would end up, it would end up two to two, first of all. And then after they somehow survived Game Three, which was the least aesthetically pleasing victory in Bucks history, uh, they—I I certainly thought Game Four would be a little bit of a market correction. Nets would win, and we'd be talking about what well, can they maybe get the series back to back to Pfizer Forum for a sixth game. That's not what happened. They played great. They even the series. Kyrie Irving getting hurt shifts the power balance almost completely. I, 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 we'll talk about the injury situation, but man, Jim, I don't—I I don't know, like. Th- did you did you have does this shock you the way that it shocks me how they played in game 4 on Sunday? Uh yeah, well, no in the sense of I guess I'll stick you with my thought that this series would go 7 games. Yes, exactly. And the yes. Nets would win. In, you have not wavered at home. So I guess I can, you know, say here, okay, listeners to the PFP, um I know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, you um, do. No, but seriously though, it was yeah, that late 90s throwback game of 86, 83, uh, you know, look, the, the Bucks had to win a game. And I get and I'll give them credit for literally doing all the things they had to do to get one. And so, yes, game four, I, you know, Jr. I wonder if the Nets don't win if Kyrie Irving stays healthy. Um, it just it didn't feel like, yes, the Bucks were playing better. But even after he gets hurt, Jr., they need a Mike Budenholzer challenge to overturn a third Giannis offensive foul to Huge go up five game. points at half. Like they scored, they added to the, they added one point to their lead at the Irving injury over the final six minutes. They they, they almost went two and a half minutes without a bucket. You know they were only Kevin Durant scores twelve straight points to end the third quarter. And, and they're only up nine until Chris Middleton hits a three with one second left. So on one hand, I, I think the market correction came because Kyrie Irving got hurt. Um, all the credit in the world for the Bucks for scratching that out and finding a way to make Joe Harris and Blake Griffin irrelevant for two games and for making Kyrie, uh, or excuse me, Kevin Durant really have to work. That is all them. Uh, but you're right. I, you, we can't ignore the Irving injury, how, how severe it looked. Um, and, and yeah, best two out of three. And right now, 
the Bucks have their big three, and right, Brooklyn's got one. Yeah, let me move move the injury talk back back a little bit higher. I, I agree with you. I mean, there's the the four point play by Chris Middleton. I think was a big moment in this game, but uh, but you you do have to circle Kyrie Irving going down underneath the basket after missing a shot with Giannis there to uh, try to get the rebound. He comes down on Giannis's foot. You know, reports right now are that he left the arena on crutches, uh, which which certainly indicates it's something more than just a twist of an ankle. I mean, him not coming back, you know, not taping up that ankle and getting back in the game, I think indicates it's more than just, you know, more than just a, a run-of-the-mill ankle injury. This series no longer has three three days in between games like it did for Game 3 and Game 4. You've got two days before Game 5, two days and travel uh, for both Game 5 and Game 6, and then Game 7 right away. So, Harden is another one. You know, we haven't seen James Harden since he briefly appeared in the first seconds of game one before he left with a hamstring injury. This team, the Nets team, is still very dangerous with just Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's, you know, transformational, transcendent, whatever the term is, he is all that stuff. He can beat a team single-handedly. He has LeBron ability that way. However, it's so different without one of the other big three. You know, like, the big three are what they are, but then just two of them are so lethal, but only one of them feels like, I, I mean, is it, too, let's say Kyrie doesn't play or James Harden doesn't come back, and even if they do, they're not at full strength or something like that. Can we say the Bucks should win this series now? I mean, is it that big of a shift, or is Kevin Durant just too great that you just cannot discount? Nets with home court advantage and Kevin Durant, that's just, that's still, that still shouldn't be, you know, well, now the Bucks have the edge. I, I mean, how do you look at it? Yeah, I, I think right now the Bucks have to win the series, in my view, even even though it means getting one in Brooklyn in game five or seven, uh, because I, I would be, I guess, really, really stunned if Kyrie Irving plays. Yeah. Harden, that's going to be 10 days between injury to, you know, game five, uh, excuse me, game, yeah, game five. Um, They've been and, very hush-hush about they, his status. Yeah, and... In all seriousness, I mean, he, he missed a lot of time in the regular season with that injury, and there is no better basketball player on earth who understands the risks of pushing a soft tissue slash tendon in the playoffs than Kevin Durant. Um, and so I, I'm not going to sit here and say Harden's going to be able to go game five or game seven. So, yes, if it's just Kevin Durant, yes, he is transformational. Uh, but I would say the way the Bucks have defended everyone else in the last two games, why would that change now when, when you don't have to worry about Kyrie Irving? Um, you can really tr- – I mean, Joe Harris has disappeared. Blake Griffin has disappeared. Uh, Bruce Blake Griffin Brown- literally disappeared off the floor. I don't know where he yeah. was in the latter stage of this game. Yeah, Steve Nash actually said Griffin is healthy. Uh, once they got down, they felt they needed Nick Claxton out there to be able to push the pace a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, for the listeners there, but it's it, really for me, I, I think JR, and this was over at jsonline.com is I think now the nets have to get in the dirt with the bucks. Oh, like, I, I wonder if this is not the time to see Deandre Jordan and this is not the time to see, but you know what I mean? Like if it's mm-hmm. just Durant, they may have to win scoring 95 points. Um, and, and, and get bodies off of him. P.J. Tucker is, is playing tremendous defense. MVP they, of the series so far. Yeah, they, they may need a bigger body for Kevin Durant to run P.J. Tucker into. <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I think right now, if Irving and Harden are out, the, yeah, the Bucks have the Bucks have to win. To me, that's, that's 
um, even on the best of three, win one on the road. That's that's how I feel about it. P.J. Tucker didn't seem like he could actually keep up with Kevin Durant in the games in Brooklyn, and, and that was just one of many, many things that were going wrong. Chris Middleton being another one who couldn't make shots. Obviously, Chris Middleton has been absolute money uh, in games three and four, but uh, P.J. Tucker had is so at the middle of everything. First of all, he's giving you offense, which uh, he's, he's out more minutes, you know, out on the floor more minutes, so you need that, and he's giving it to you. Uh, he is able to keep up defensively. He sort of starts this skirmish in game three where he got in Kevin Durant's face, and I, I don't want to get into, like, oh, that was like a turning point or something. It wasn't. It wasn't. But it, it definitely, you know, they brought him in knowing he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and that's how he plays. And that's not somebody the Bucks previously had on this roster they didn't have that kind of defender on this roster who can mix stuff up the Patrick Beverly's of the world the Bucks didn't have that haven't had that for the last couple years and they bring him in and he's giving exactly exactly what they could have hoped for and games three and four he is I think a little bit of a different defender and, and their defense in general. I mean, they just held the nets to under a hundred points in back-to-back games that hasn't been done this season. And even, even with the team not having all their players available to them, they, this is not, <laughs> this is not a team that you hold to under a hundred points. And I know there was some emphasis from, from our podcast and elsewhere on Brooklyn's renewed defensive energy in the first two games. Well, you have to, I mean, the bucks have completely turned it up from game one, two, to what we saw at Pfizer form. Is that, I, I mean, what do you attribute that to? Is it is it just PJ Tucker like absolutely balling out, playing his absolute best? Is there more to it? Was it an adjustment? What got this Bucks defense to to such an elite level here in these last two games? Yeah, I, well, Drew Holiday admitted that you know being at home helps, um, and, and having a full throated arena for the first time in this season for this Bucks team, and being in Brooklyn, Jr. I will say um, that mattered to them. You know, when when Harden went out and they were able to kind of lock things down. And um, so there, I think there's an emotional level they'll have to try to maintain on the road. P.J. Tucker, look, he was whistled for two fouls, what, in the opening minutes of game two? Um, and it, the tenor of that just kind of changed afterward. I don't know if he's playing any differently. <laughs> it's just that he is not being called for those fouls so quickly where, you know, he's picking up his fourth or fifth late in the game. Um, and that's, you know, I, I think that's the human element. And I hate to say, you know, unfortunately, Jerry, you know, this <laughs> officials matter in the NBA in that way. So if, if Steve Nash's post game comments of, you know, PJ Tucker is, is barely playing basketball uh, with the way he's defending if Kevin Durant's uh, pleading, I think James Harden and DeAndre Jordan were also working the officials um, during the game. I mean, if any of that seeps through, maybe that changes as well. Uh, so, yes, Tucker. Yes, the fans. I think also Holiday mentioned, JR, that they, and I don't know why they didn't do this the first two games, but he said before game, game four, uh, they had really di- – dialed in on details of specific players. So whether it be Joe Harris or Blake Griffin, those are the two I can really think of. Um, I don't know if it's just, you know, they kind of, they kind of lost Joe Harris those first two games. Like he, he'd kind of like make a back cut and Chris Milton be standing there. And now all of a sudden it's an open three. So maybe they finally just decided trust PJ Tucker to do his thing. Don't 
it's almost like when Blake Martinez, Jr. would be like, you know, running around and missing tackles or, or and he's like, he's trying to fill gaps that he's not supposed to be in. Like maybe yeah. that's the change is that just decided, you know what, whoever's on Durant, whoever's on Irving, that's who's there. Pay attention to everybody else. And now we'll see if that can carry over. But I think those are probably the, the three key factors for the Bucks, you know, uh, and, and also obviously that physical element too of just, you know, Hey, if you got six fouls, <laughs> use them. We're going to check the box. You gave us a Packers reference. That is perfect. Of course, former Packers beat writer Jim Ozarski <laughs> sneaking one in as always. The uh, the offense changed a little bit too. Uh, game three, game three was I-, I thought pretty disheartening offensively because you had a lot of ISO ball, and I know that that's a, a maybe a lazy critique, but you know you just the basic stat here: twelve assists on thirty four field goals made. Like that, there wasn't a lot of sharing, and it was. And maybe it was by design. Giannis and Chris Middleton were tasked with willing that victory out. They did it. You know, they were able to pull it out pretty much a two-man show on in game three uh, a few nights ago. And then, you know, you get this game. Totally different. 27 assists on 39 field goals. Some of that, I think, is maybe Drew Holiday's finally, you know, starting to round into form. He's had a really rough series. And he's starting, uh, you know, starting to become a more involved part of the offense here in game four. And some of that is just playing, sharing the ball. Some, you know, a lot more makes, a lot of made threes that we were that were not falling uh, in the first, really, the first three games of this series. So that's part of it, too. But uh, it does seem like, it does seem like there have been adjustments on offense. They have figured out ways to beat this team, which, which I mean, you would have thought that they would be able to rattle off 110 points just in their sleep, the way that you knew Brooklyn could defend coming into the series. But that's not the case. We saw in Game 1 and Game 2. And it does seem like there's been some some changes to free things up, to get Giannis the ball sort of in space, cutting to the basket. That wasn't what we had in Game 3, maybe a little more of that in Game 4. I guess maybe from your perspective, what changed from Game 3 to Game 4 that enabled things to come a little bit unglued on offense? Yeah, so definitely, you know, falling into that isolation trap is not... uh, Give give yourself some credit, JR. It's not lazy. I mean, when when the Big 3 and Mike Gunholzer say that's exactly what happened <laughs> over yes. games one and two. And then, okay, game three, it happened again. The difference being Chris Middleton and Giannis made shots. So they scored yes. 30 points in the first quarter and were able to kind of, now granted they lost that, that, that 21 point lead, but you know, we could argue Brooklyn had to work so hard to, to come back from that, that, okay, then it ends up working. Drew holiday obviously goes one-on-one with Bruce Brown to, to win the game with the layup. So yeah, game, game four, you could tell from the opening set, you know, where Giannis brings the ball up. He, you know, flips it to PJ Tucker. Like it's not really a true double drag screen up top, but it's similar ish. And drew holiday gets a wide open three pointer to start the game. Yes, he misses, but you saw, okay, that if that's the first play, clearly they're trying to set a tone. And, and then that's just what you saw was, a little more movement. You saw Giannis, yes, go downhill. It starts off as an isolation type of look, but then he knows where his teammates are, turns, maybe they're awkward looking passes. You know, he's all arms and legs. They are, going yes, but they are effective. Yep. <laughs> yes. You know, so what is that? That's the actual ball movement. That's that. That's the type of thing um, that they have missed for three games. And, Look, yes, P.J. Tucker scored more points in the first half than he had the first three games combined. You know, that <laughs> Pat Connaughton has four steals. 
and maybe some stitches. Uh, Bryn Forbes. Oh, definitely stitches. <laughs> Bryn Forbes only hits two threes, but they actually came at moments when, you know, it, they needed the extra three points. So, um, you know, by the numbers, maybe the bench, you know, wasn't tremendous. Drew Holiday struggled shooting again. But in terms of scoring 107 points, it looked so much better than game one when they scored 107 points and walked away with the loss. I think the bench is still a concern. And and I, I think maybe, you know, maybe in my mind, that's why I still think the Nets are going to win this series. Now, it's a little different. If, if, if Kyrie and James Harden are truly out for the rest of this series, and I'll believe it when I see it, but if they are... Uh, I, I don't know where I fall. I, I think I'm with you. Like the Bucks have to win that series, right? Now it's it's now they're the favorite. They were the underdog and, and might still be in some people's eyes, but nah, they're the favorite if it's just Kevin Durant among the big three. However, if if they if they still play or whatever, you know, I do think the Bucks can win this series, but the bench and Drew Holiday and Drew you mentioned and I should have mentioned it. He he does hit the the basically the game winning shot in Game Three on a great you know a great drive drove at the right guy Bruce Brown uh, who was a little nicked up and uh, was able to just kind of sneak around him for the basket that basically wins that game. But uh, but Drew Holiday has just not been the Drew Holiday we saw from the regular season in, in pretty much all facets of the game, including shooting. And then you know their bench it's been okay. Um, you know it obviously isn't going to be what it was because you don't have Dante DiVincenzo. So some bench contributor is going to have to be inserted into the starting lineup one way or another, whether that's Tucker, or Pat Connaughton or whatever they decide to do uh, at this point, I imagine it will be Tucker, but uh, you know, I, I'd still be worried about that. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's dumb. I mean, it's the postseason. You, your starters are the ones who matter. So like, does that still rate as a concern for you? And maybe if that doesn't, what, what are the concerns for this team going into these, you know, these next three games? Yeah, I yeah I think the bench. Um, you want to say maintaining uh, what is a lower baseline now? I mean, they are they are playing the minutes they have. Uh, you know, Bobby Portis didn't score, but I'd argue his two blocks uh, coming in right when he did affected the game. You know, especially when you're talking about you know before the the starters are pulled. When you you know again, it's it's just a couple possessions. Um, Brent Forbes has got they got to get him going. I, I don't know if if they can handle, you know, let's say PJ Tucker, the whistles are tighter and he scores two points again in Game Five, and Brooke Lopez only scores eight points. There's no more scoring. <laughs> like yeah. Brent, so you know that's Brent where Forbes you end up is, with Giannis and Middleton having to do it all. That's not a good recipe, even yeah. if it worked out. Yeah, and Brent Forbes is 10 points the twice. I mean, he, he got to double digits because of garbage time. You know, so his, his you know, his game is limited. I, I don't know how else they can get him looks other than what they did in game game four. Um, now, you mentioned Holiday. I, man, there's a part of you that, and especially the Bucks, have to feel it's going to turn for the guy. I mean, he missed the, the open three to start the game. He had a a great little floater that he just airballed short, um, which was so weird. And another really odd missed shot early. So, um, you know, he's not on any injury reports, you know, there's, there's nothing to that. So I, I don't know, you know, if he's, if it's just kind of in his head right now. Um, but if, if, if he were to even shoot 48%, <laughs> uh, you know, there's another six, eight points there for the bucks. So, um, yeah, that leads me into your broader question of is there still concern? Of course, because look, they they needed everything to go right in game three to win by three. 
and Kevin Durant still almost sent it to overtime with, with a great look in the final seconds. Um, game four, again, only up five at halftime because of a ch- you know, get good challenge. It happened. Giannis makes a three-point play. Credit to the Bucks. However, they scored five points in almost three minutes with, Ke- with Kyrie Irving in the locker room. Um, now, again, someone could say, well, you know, Brooklyn didn't score either. I, I'd argue, well, yeah, because they just lost this key player and they're trying to figure it out on the fly. Um, they, you know, the Bucks have had to try so hard, Jared. Things have to go so right for the four games this year that they've won at Pfizer Forum <laughs> that if it, if, if some of that formula is off in game five, game six, game seven, it makes you think they can't win those games because it's they've needed all this other stuff to squeak out the four that they have, you know, against, but again, you know, it's uh, of the seven they've played, they, they've won four. Um, you know, if you go back to, you know, Martin Luther King day and that, that kind of opener in, in Brooklyn that, that they lost on a game winner. So that it's just that kind of series. So I think it could teeter the wrong way. Uh, if a whistle goes the wrong way or if a guy gets cold, just as it could, you know, we could be previewing a, an Easter Conference final in a week if, if it goes the other way. Giannis still having free throw issues. I think that could come up big, you know, in, in a tight game. We haven't, you know, it hasn't necessarily come up yet, but him shooting eight three-pointers in game three was was weird. That was kind of part and parcel of the, the sort of how it boiled down to just basically Giannis Middleton and nobody else. So I, I don't know. I, I imagine that was a massive outlier, but you know, a lot of people screaming at their TV sets, wondering why it is he's still chucking shots from the three-point line. He has not made them at all in these playoffs. Not just the, you know, not just this series. He has not made them, and uh, was still taking them because they're there, they're open. But uh, it's uh, it's really just given given a rebound opportunity to the to the opponent. Um, yeah. Man, I I've got some serious 2019 vibes, Jim. That that series was two nothing bucks. The Raptors come back. It was a double overtime win. It was an ugly game. Certainly that wasn't, you know, we didn't have two overtimes in game three, but it was an ugly game. The bucks squeaked out a win that quite honestly, I don't know if they should have had. I mean, the Nets just missed shots, man. The Nets just, they just didn't make shots. You know, Kevin Durant among them, like, and yeah, his, his look at the end wasn't, you know, it wasn't a clean look and all, it almost went in any way, but they just, I don't know. They just missed shots. And, uh, I really thought the bucks were in it, in trouble here in, in game four, uh, and and they just they fortunately proved us all wrong. What I, I, if if the Bucks do win this series? If they do come back and win this series, are they the favorite to win the NBA title? From what you've seen from from other playoff, you know, we've talked about how they match up with teams in the East like Philadelphia and, and Atlanta. I don't think the Bucks would be afraid of any either one of those matchups. Uh, we've, we've talked briefly about the teams in the West. Do you think they win the whole thing if they win this series? No, I, I wouldn't. I would pick them to beat. Philadelphia, but not necessarily Utah. No, I I don't think they could beat Utah or um, if Phoenix is healthy. And and again, (laughs) that's something you always get used to saying in football, but like Chris Paul still has that shoulder thing, right? So uh, this is assuming that he would be a hundred percent. I've saw, look, I know that, you know, the first game with, or the, the game at home against Phoenix Went to overtime. Giannis didn't play it because he cramped early, and, and they held him out. I know the, the first game against Phoenix, Giannis missed the potential game winner. So maybe that series is is closer to a toss-up, um, although I believe Phoenix would have home court advantage. And I think going west, <laughs> you know, that matters. Um, 
especially Utah. I, I saw that, and Utah just put. I mean, they just beat the bricks off the Bucks. I, I, I know them. the final. I know the final scores might be a little closer, but that th- those games were not close. And Utah, the Bucks haven't. What JGR? I think you've written this right. The Bucks haven't won in Utah in like twenty years. Or something ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> like I have not written that, but I know it is a long time. Yeah, I. So you're talking about exercising a lot of ghosts, and not just ghosts, uh, but also like this current team and the whole thin air. I mean, so no, I I, I could not um, in good conscience peg them as a favorite uh, again, providing everyone's healthy. Uh, but hey, you, you can't win it unless you're in it, and if they can get two out of three. Uh, against the Nets, I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't reach the finals. I think they just match up so much better with Philadelphia uh, and or Atlanta. Bucks win 107-96 in game four. Does sound like James Harden, I mean, the, the language is vague, but it's inching, you know, whatever, like making progress, right direction or whatever. Uh, it does sound like there is a chance that he will be available when the series shifts back to Brooklyn on Tuesday night. Uh, Jim, before I, before I let you go, I want to uh, – Pat Connaughton real quickly. We, we've talked about him in general a lot over the course of the year. The contract that he signed, I, I know a lot of Bucks fans raised an eyebrow at that, particularly how it was reported and then got bigger because – you know, because of salary cap machinations, seemingly it seems like the Bucks had to go back and ask for, you know, ask for some things to shift around so that they could uh, they could make it work with with their cap exceptions and all that, uh, all all that stuff. Very in the weeds, it gets in the weeds quickly. But it seems like the Bucks maybe, you know, maybe didn't need to bring him back on the bigger deal. If, but but they really like the player, and it's questionable whether or not he was worth what they were what they ultimately gave him. But he's had a really solid season, and he was really good in Game Four. Blood on the face, you know the the iconic enduring image on top of it. But it, more than that, you know he has given them a spark. He has been he has been valuable. And you know to, we're talking about the Bucks bench. I mean that's a guy who will you know frequently come off the bench. What is your impression of how he's played here in this series? Yeah, just like uh, Forbes and Tucker. I mean Game Four was his best day. You know he had one opportunity for an open three knocked it down and, and that's the hard part with these guys you know in the regular season jr they were getting five to eight shots or nine shots um in the playoffs you get one to three <laughs> and you better make them and pat Connaughton, to his credit knocked it down uh the four steals i think were far bigger far more active on his hands and i think this goes back to our previous conversation of just um you know more detailed with their assignments you know, if that could carry over, that's a big deal. And yeah, I, there's probably some truth to the Bucks Twitterverse uh, fan verse of, of, of feeling, you know, Bo, uh, Coach Boonholzer um, misuses or miscasts Pat Connaughton at times. I will say, I think the way and how he's been deployed is probably is is better suited for him in the series. Fewer minutes, very specific roles and assignments um use that energy hustle use the size not asking him to do you know too much um although i will give him credit i think durant tried to take him one-on-one uh at one point and content played really tough defense and then i think it was another instance uh where durant had a had a back cut couldn't dunk it but it was gonna be you know probably an easy layup and content got a hand in there and knocked the ball away so um that's the type of kind of one-off you hate to call it that but when you play what 13 14 minutes like that's what it's got to be is like you got to make that kind of one-off play so yeah pat Connaughton, i think game four really played well and uh 
you know, I, as we said, Jr. I think going forward uh, to win two of the next three, yeah, we might have to have another Pat Connaughton conversation. I mean, it just it, it feels like they need every little bit from every guy who plays. Oh, and I forgot to bring up in Game 3, we learned that Kevin Durant has a personal bodyguard on the Nets payroll. Uh, he came into the equation, was suspended for the rest of the series when he came out onto the floor. But is the Nassus officially also listed as Giannis's bodyguard? And and if if he is, first of all, I hope, he, I hope he gets a little pay bump for that. But, like, I hope he gets a pay bump for the little bit we've seen him. He's, like, the perfect scene-stealing actor on a good TV show that has, like, a bunch of famous people. And then there's, like, uh, uh, you know a cameo from a really well-known guy who shows up in like two episodes. That is the Nassus Adetokounmpo. When that guy shows up, he's like, it's like a, it's like a wrestling thing. You know, he's just, he's just energy personified and he does exactly what you need him to do. And he has this video clip where Kyrie fakes him out of his show, out of his shoes and he still gets back and contests and Kyrie misses the shot. Uh, so I just want you to brag about the Nassus. Why is he perfect? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, Thanasis, uh, first of all, he can't be Giannis's bodyguard. I, I believe he has been hit with a couple technicals uh, for chirping <laughs> off on the sideline, but you do not want him running on the court if you're the Bucks. That, that leads no. to a suspension. Sure. Um, but I, I think it plays well at home. Like I don't think Giannis, or excuse me, Thanasis jumping off the bench, ultimate warrior style to check in at the Barclays has the same effect as it does at, the, at Pfizer 4. But to your point, Look, game three, a game that only won by three points. Thanasis checks in for 24 seconds of defense, and what happens? <laughs> he blocks Mike James' shot at 24-second violation. That's all he played. That matters when you only win by three. Now, again, to game four, yes, Kyrie Irving made him a highlight. The whole arena, even though they're behind Thanasis, ooh. I mean, it was one of those. Well, guess what? Kyrie just kind of you know, collected himself. He thought it was over. And look, I'm sure Kyrie will say, no, nah, it didn't affect my shot, but it, he missed it. Anthonas is still contested. And again, when you're talking about a game that was only five points at half, what, what kind of difference does it make if it's a tie game after one quarter, JR? You know what I mean? Like, it's just a different, yeah, I look, Thanasis is a lot of fun. Uh, people still knock the guy for you know his role and what he does. But look, man, we're talking about games that are decided by a couple possessions. I'm not. I, I, I'm not going to discount his contributions in game three or four. I, you know, not, not not today. He, if this thing goes all the way to the NBA Finals, one way or another, that man will live forever in in Bucks lore. Uh, he has. He certainly has the last name that will live forever. But uh, but that guy, he just he just shows up. He shows up in, in interesting places, uh, and it seems to seems to always have a positive impact. The uh, but. but we do have a, a brief interview here. You you chatted with Ray Allen, actually former uh, former Buck star, of course. Everyone knows Ray Allen and uh, and his wife. And I, I want you to introduce that a little bit. But uh, you know, we did hear the Bucks in six chants coming out after uh, during Game Four as the Bucks were pulling away in the in the final moments. And Ray Allen knows a thing or two about Game Sixes. And you know, his performance in the Eastern Conference Finals in two thousand one is one of the more highly regarded Bucks individual performances in, in franchise history, you know, clearing 40 points and, uh, and sending that series to a seventh game. But, uh, but Ray Allen is, uh, interesting, interesting thing that he's doing. So can you just sort of describe what, uh, what's in the interview? Yeah. So real quick, his wife, Shannon Walker Williams, the actress, um, and, and singer joined him. Uh, look, their, their, their son has diabetes. So they're, that's kind of what Ray Allen does is, is he's sort of an advocate for childhood diabetes and things of that nature. So they get into that, but also obviously it's a 20th anniversary 
<laughs> Jerry, we know of the, yes. the, the Eastern Conference Finals. So Ray, are, Ray, Ray does speak about that and just sort of how a guy who ends up going to the Hall of Fame and winning a couple rings with two other teams, how that still st- sticks with him, um, which is a, even for me, Jerry, a little bit amazing. You would think after all those other accomplishments, it would kind of be like, oh, you know, it was a thing. And But also, though, specifically about Milwaukee, talking about, you know, look, people know what the Deer District is, Jerry. You've seen it kind of explode these last few years. Um, it's been great. Some people, look, George Carl in our last interview talked about the city, right, and, like, what it was like. And, and Ray and his wife get into that a little bit, too, just of what that was like to be a Bucks player, a Bucks fan, the culture of basketball in Milwaukee, which, you know, probably still a little underrated, maybe, you know. So it was, it was a fun, it's a short interview, but it's, uh, it was definitely interesting. And of course, I, you know, if you can catch up with Ray Allen, one of the original, I guess, Bucks big three, why not? Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, so we'll, we'll play that here in just a second. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Again, he is Jim Ozarski, Bucks beat reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Find everything he has at jsonline.com. He'll be in Brooklyn on Tuesday for game five. The series will shift back to Milwaukee on Thursday, game six. We know what's happening. There will be one more game at least at Pfizer Forum this season. A game seven would be on Saturday if it gets that far back at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Of course, we don't want that. The Bucks and six, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully they can keep this momentum going, and uh, and then we could wow, we could possibly be talking about the Eastern Conference Finals. Did not uh, did not think that would enter the vernacular after the first two games of this series. But Jim, thanks for joining us, man. We will chat with you again very soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Talk to you then. Here now is Jim Ozarski's interview with Ray Allen and his wife Shannon Walker Williams. Hope you enjoy this one. We will catch up with you again very soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. The Point Forward Podcast. We are now joined by NBA Hall of Famer and former Milwaukee Bucks All-Star Ray Allen and his wife, Shannon Walker-Williams, actress and singer, um, here on the you know 20th anniversary season of that 2000-2001 team that, uh, you know, that still lives in the hearts and minds of Bucks fans. And it's alternately special, but yet still a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a thing stuck in that craw. How... How do you how do you look back at that that real special season at least here in Milwaukee where where people really still love you guys? Uh, the thing that I, I think about and I remember very vividly is is the way it ended. Uh, I think that is what a lot of people, um, obviously from the way Game Seven ended in uh, in Philly and then us being traded, you know, those two uh, moments I think are very uh, pivotal in you know, the franchise and certainly in my career, I still say that there was forces working behind the scenes that kept us out of the NBA finals because there's no reason that we shouldn't have beat Philly. And there's no reason why Scott Williams should have been suspended going into game seven. You know, we, 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 we talk about this all the time and that's the thing that disappoints me. Like you never, not something like that from game to game to where you, you, decide the outcome of a basketball game. Obviously, you know, Allen Iverson and Larry Brown and, 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 um, the Ken Bay Matumbo, like defensive player of the year, MVP, coach of the year. Aaron McKee, I think was six man of the year. So yeah, and it was Philadelphia. So I, I get it, but I thought we, we played hard enough and it should have, it should have came down to the players' side. Cause Scott Williams was sick that he, 
got suspended. And that, that just, to me, it just, to this day, it just never sat right with me because, you know, let the players decide the outcome of the game. Right. Right. Well, Shannon, then you guys, you can speak to this too then. I, uh, so George, George says, and everyone says, like, what Milwaukee was like in that run, like in the streets, in the BC, what, like, I don't know if people Nash like maybe now they get it because they can see the new arena, the new like squat, like the square for it. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but what was that kind of like for you all as just residents, also participants of like what the city was like, I guess, in that, that run for you guys? Well, the, the, the city didn't really have a culture then yet when it came to basketball, there was great history. Like the Bucks are one of the winners of franchises in, in the NBA history. People don't know that. Uh, but the way we haven't been there, I haven't been there. I've been uh, back. Yeah, but it looks amazing. The way the way the arena was built, I see it from on TV and the pictures. Like when we were going on that run in in 2001, like people used to hang out before and after games right on that street outside the Bradley Center. Now you you've given uh, uh, a a refuge for people going to games and coming out of games there's places for them to eat you know there's more patronage and that is what creates a greater culture where people want to be part of Milwaukee Bucks basketball yeah but listen you want to talk about some of the most special loving nurturing people in the country I mean Ray and I have lived all over the country through this game of basketball we've been so fortunate and traveled the world um, but some of my best friends some of our best friends to this day still live in Milwaukee Wisconsin so we have nothing but great feelings about uh, Wisconsinians and uh, our time, our time in that part of the country, and, and it's, it always is great to go back and get those feels. And I'll tell you that series was intense. I mean, I remember Ray and my mother-in-law and my sister-in-laws and I were in the stands in Philly. I mean, people were throwing rocks at us. <laughs> Philly does not play, so that was an intense. That was an intense series on the floor and in the stands. Ray, real quick, I know you reached out to Drew Holiday about this. Drew, I, man, if they make a run, people are going to compare him to that Oscar trade. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of what kind of guy, what kind of man, uh, player did they get to help them get over this hump? Well, Drew, Drew has what was great about the trade was that he has great size, uh, and he he plays north to south. Uh, and he's equally uh, as good of a de- defender, and he's not afraid to take the shot. So it, it just gives your lineup, gives you a stronger lineup, uh, and gives you a taller lineup, and uh, he's fearless, you know. So it'll be interesting. Obviously, you know the 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 writing doesn't appear on the wall until you get to a playoff series and you see what your guys are really made of. Uh, because it's more difficult in a seven-game series where everybody knows exactly what you can do. Uh, so now he's on the clock, and, and, and I think that you guys have a good one, and he has an opportunity to really show you uh, because his proof is in the pudding. So I wanted to make sure we got to this. Uh, guys, we are connected through Abbott Systems uh, and their Freestyle Libre 2 device, uh, which is – uh, designed to help people afflicted with type 1 diabetes, like your son Walker. So how has um, this helped you, him, your family, in terms of you know him managing his diabetes, but also you guys, you know, uh, being able to enjoy him enjoying life, you know? Well, that, I think 
when he was first diagnosed, uh, we felt uh, somewhat bad because he obviously it had nothing to do with this and it just kind of hit us all out of nowhere. And we wanted to do everything we could to take it away from him so he could just be a child and live and have fun and not to worry about these things because that's what your childhood should be all about. Um, so we, we, we did our best to make sure that he can be that regular child, like carrying any meds that he may uh, have to use on a, on a daily basis to we make sure we don't limit what he eats. He understands what he eats when he eats it and how it's going to affect him different from other children. So you know, we just make sure he has, he's on with the information. And then other than that, uh, we just try to make sure he's as regular as possible. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it, and Shannon, maybe you can speak to this too, Ray, but it, the, the system of it, right. Where I, I can imagine with just the, the pricking, you know, yeah. and, and just having to do that, I, I, even for adults, um, uh-huh. can be, you know, a, either just physically a problem or even just the act of doing it. What, what is, how important has that been with this system to allow him to not have to do that? Well, uh, one of the things, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I posted on my social media during Diabetes Day. I, uh, Shannon, she got all the needles and she was throwing the needles out because um, we had, you know, a hazard waste bucket. And so I took a picture of all the needles just to see like over time this is what you know every day you eat you know your blood sugar goes up you have to utilize one of these these needles to make sure that you perform as his pancreas and those needles represent the 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 injection protocol to get him that insulin and so it is a difficult process when you think about the the needle then trying to figure out what his, his his blood sugar is so Walker has holes in his fingertips and it's no more, the, the time that is more glaring than any other time is when he swims. You know, his, his, you know, when your hands get white and they get real, uh, yeah, wrinkly. Yeah. Like you could, you could actually see the holes in his fingers from all the times that he gets, uh, that he gets pricked to, to see what his, his blood is, his blood sugar levels are. So, that's when you say this is real and you feel bad for him. So you try to figure out every opportunity to make this a little bit easier on him. And that's why the working with Abbott and, and having access to this freestyle Libre too has been such a game changer for Walker because he doesn't have to prick his finger at all anymore. I mean, this little guy went from getting eight to ten finger sticks a day and, and you know, thousands of holes on his fingertips over a 13-year period to now, you know, he puts this little white disc on his arm and it's the size of a quarter and it's, it's flat to his skin and we put that on every 14 days it doesn't hurt and there's the injection site nothing happens to it he can still get in the pool he can still play basketball he can still run around with his his brothers and his sister he can still you know do all the sports that he normally does but the benefit is a he's not in pain and b we have constant continuous glucose monitoring we always know what his number is and you know for those times in, in the middle of the night i used to check walker's blood sugar every night at 2 30 in the morning and you know, i'm glad we do it again and again and again but it's really nice that we have alarms you know on on the libre too so if he goes extremely high or extremely low in the middle of the night we get an alarm so i'm actually getting some like rem sleep i'm like what 
It's <laughs> Libre. Right, yeah. So um, it's really, the Libre really has been, um, the Libre 2 has really been a game changer. And I, I would just, you know, encourage anyone that's listening, visit freestylelibre2.us. They're offering a free sample right now so folks can try it and um, just experience that level of freedom that Walkie has now that he never would have been able to other way. So God bless the scientists. Thank you for listening to the Point Forward Podcast, a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and JSOnline.com production.